So, if you have a Bible, you can take it and you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And as you do that, I want to tell you a couple of things as you're turning, as I'm walking and getting things situated here. A couple of things I want to make sure that you know. One is this, uh, that we have uh, brand new bookmarks uh, for the month of July here. Uh, today, they are brand new today. They look just almost just like the ones that were here last week. But your pastor completely had an absent-minded moment. And uh, we already read the book of Mark, and y'all didn't even try to tell a brother. All right? And so, um, yeah, you, you should have let somebody. Either nobody's reading the bookmark passages or too, everybody's too scared to tell me. I kept thinking, this feels familiar. I guess I read through it personally, like myself recently. And then somebody told me, and I was like, man, I'm a doofus. So anyways, um, reading the book of John, brand new bookmarks. Uh, we got it set up for you. And so be sure to take one of those with you, especially um, Old Testament sometimes can get hard with a bunch of names and the cultural differences are even that much harder to, to go across. And so if you've had a hard time the last few months doing First and Second Samuel, this may be a time to jump back in, but read God's word. Let's just see what God would do if we'd be faithful to read his word. Just that, just that one thing, we might be surprised. All right, and so take one of those with you. The other thing I want to make sure I tell you in this moment is, is this. Um, some of you, if not all, or most of you may have seen by now um, through social media, but I am happy to say that God has blessed us uh, with an affirmation, a yes, uh, for our next leader of students in worship, Mr. Nick Randall, who was here a couple weeks ago. All right? And uh, you're not clapping, and that, that I don't know. I, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I get that he's not here, okay, but God is, and God gave him to us, all right? And so, anyways, um, we are so excited for Nick to be making the transition down from Pennsylvania. Uh, we expect that that may happen at some point in the next five to six weeks-ish. He might be here with us as we get a closer date on that. I will let you know. But in the meantime, I want you to thank God and praise God for giving us a guy not just that knows how to play an instrument and can, can move his vocal cords right to sing a song, but giving us a guy with a heart. That's after the Lord, that, that's truly um, thinking through how he wants to lead people into the presence of God. And so we are, we are so blessed, so excited about him coming. Thank God for them and also pray uh, for him and his family. Big, huge transition, all right? So you see here, this is why uh, Catherine, his daughter, who I believe is four, uh, is Elizabeth Ann. And then there's William up there being held by mom. And so uh, you can pray for them in the time of transition, all right? So if you have been with us, Maybe hard to believe, but this is actually week 10 already of studying the book of Ephesians this summer. So week 10, we've been working on memorizing a verse together. So we're going to try to say it together. We're going to see what you got. All right. I'll count. You say it with me. We might get fancy with the tech today, so get ready. Okay. Here we go. One, two, three. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Did y'all see that tech up there? <laughs> that may not have been fancy to you, but I was excited about it, okay? Uh, anyways, we've been trying to get this verse not just to be something that we can remember and say, but that we're asking God to, to implant deep into the core of our hearts. And here's why, because the reality is that yesterday's failures, today's struggles your own personal limitations, they will shout to you really loudly that God really hasn't done a whole lot in your life. 
They will scream to you that there is a God who supposedly loves you, but he basically just hangs out at a distance and waits for heaven. And the reality is that God is intimately, intricately involved in even the details of your life because he looks at you, as we saying, as precious in his sight. He considers you as holy and as beloved as Jesus, the Son. And he has remade you. (laughs) You who used to not be acceptable to one who was holy. You who could never make yourself acceptable enough. You who never would have wanted to without his work and effort and impact in your life. He has declared you holy. He has made you new. God's truth is bigger than your feelings, bigger than your experiences. And so we want to know deep in the core of us that we have souls that have been transformed by his grace. We're learning more about that as we're studying through the book of Ephesians. Paul writes this letter to tell a church that is being tried with some different doctrine, that is being tempted with some different ideas. And he's saying, no, 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 stay here, anchor in here, hold here. This is what God has done in you. And we're now transitioning into the second half of the letter where Paul has told us a whole lot about all the different ways that God has remade us. Now he's telling us how to live remade. How do we actually Monday uh, through, through Friday, work week, weekends, the whole thing. How do we live on the outflow of who God has remade us to be? That's what he's teaching us. We looked last week at the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4, and we saw Paul continue to beat the drum of unity amongst the church. He continued to say it's important that we realize that we live and function together as one. And as his appeal in that, he said, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, that you would live in this unity in a way that matches the calling you have. And he said, you will do that as you have humility and patience and as you bear with one another. And then he appealed to an undergirding foundation, if you remember. He said, here's the reality. I'm telling you to live as one because if you've been remade by Christ, you truly are already one. There's one faith. There's one gospel to believe in. There's one Father, one Son, one Holy Spirit. There's one act of baptism where you step across the line and declare what Jesus has done in your life. He says, you are one, so live as one. Over and over again in the first three chapters in a piece, Paul has talked about how important unity is. He's talked about the collective. And today we're not going to step away, per se, from the collective, but we're going to get there in a different route as he brings his focus onto the individual. Here's what he has to say. We're going to start in chapter 4, verse 7. It says this, says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, and saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, I don't know about you, that feels a little bit like a tongue twister to me, if I'm just being honest with you, right? It's like, he descended and ascended, and he went high, and he went low, and he gave some gifts, and something about some captives, I believe, was in there, right? What does all that mean? Well, I think the emphasis is in the first verse, and then Paul kind of gives this this sidestep for just a second to try to parenthetically explain what he's really trying to bring forward in verse 7. Here's what he says in verse 7, is that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Now, now that could sound on just a surface level like, hey, wait a minute, maybe Christ's love and his grace is a little bit limited for this person and it's a little bit more maximized for that person. Apparently he measures it out and he gives some more than others. But what Paul is getting at here is not that God gives more saving grace to any one of us. When you are saved, it's not that you're just given a certificate of grace. You are given grace in the personal acceptance and presence of Jesus, and we all have him fully. So he's not saying some of you are higher class citizens, higher class sons and daughters of God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if grace is ill-deserved favor of God... And it's seen when he does things on our behalf that we couldn't do for ourselves. If that's what grace is, then he has saved us by grace, given us favor we were ill-deserving of, through the cross of Jesus, rescuing us when we didn't even want rescue. He has done us and saved us in grace, yes, but he's also given us gifts, right? He's given gifts to men. Right? He's graced us with a, a different grace, a unique grace. There are millions of graces, millions of different ways in our lives and in the world that God is giving ill-deserved favor to us. I, I happened yesterday to be at the grocery store two days ago. My family's out of town. I happened to just catch in my peripheral that Dr. Pepper float bluebell ice cream that had been out of stock forever was in stock. And there was one hanging in the back corner with the ice crystals around it. Felt like grace, all right? I don't know, just telling you, went, hey, hey, going to surprise the kids with that when they get home, if they get here quickly enough, because I got excited on it last night. I got a little out of hand, okay? But, but it's a grace. God is gracing you over and over and over again. And so I think what Paul is pointing to the Ephesian church is this. We've talked about the, the collective. We've talked about the church as a whole. But we're going to zone in on you and your life. And something that I need you to know and understand is he hasn't just graced you with his full acceptance and his full presence in your life through salvation. He's also given you a specific grace, which is gift to you. If this may be helpful, I can tell my wife over and over again, I love you. And I do tell her every time we hang up the phone, every time we are walking Uh, I'm walking out the door to go somewhere. I almost said walk into another room. It's not like, I mean, I love her, but it's not like every second. Anyways, right? But but I tell her I love her all the time. It's one thing for me to communicate I love you. It's another thing for me to say to her, I love your eyes. Right? I love your blonde hair. I love how carefree you are and how you can jump into life and have fun and help other people relax and have a good time. Some of you ladies might have seen that with some line dancing on a women's retreat. I don't know. Rumors. I love how you laugh so hard sometimes that it makes you snort. Right? I love that. She's not here today, so I can say that. Right? right? I can say, hey, I love you, this big uh, encapsulating overarching statement, I love you. And I can also say within that overarching statement of love, there's these different ways that I love you. God has given us a grace in that he's gifted us. Now, what does it mean to be gifted? What does it mean to have a spiritual gift? I'll give you my best idea, my best definition, and you may have a better one, but I would say that a spiritual gift is a God-given, God-fueled, faith-employed capability. Say that again, God-given, God-fueled, faith-employed capability. It's the capability that is given to you by God. It's not just given to you by God, it's fueled by Him, it's empowered by Him. It's God-given, God-fueled, and it takes you having faith to step into using it, faith-empowered capability. Uh, 
it's not just enough. There's, there's the question, and it's a good question. What's the difference between just a natural giftedness, right? Lots of people are, are good at certain things. Everybody's better at some things than other things. What, what's the difference between natural giftedness and being spiritually gifted in a specific way? And it's at least one key difference is that it's not just that God has gifted you. It's that God must release, God must activate these capabilities through you. He empowers and fuels you, not just so that they could be used well, but so they can be used well and rightly for his glory, his mission, his story. I'm, I'm usually late to trade up to the newer phones, and so I, I'll never forget, I was several models behind on iPhone, and when I went to get a new one, they had done a thing, and I think they had done it a couple years prior, but I had no idea. iPhones no longer use the standard charging cable that every other phone on the face of the planet used. Do you remember this? Anybody recall? That's right. I got 700 of these blocks and charger cords laying around my house from all the times that I've forgotten them and bought an extra one at a gas station, but now I've got the newest iPhone, and it is looking awesome, and it is sweet, but the battery just died. I don't have the ability to charge it. Why? Because Apple, who I sing the praises of, kind of gets on my nerves a little bit in the way that we got to have your special, unique little power cord, right? Couldn't just use a good old standard plug. Got to have you to bring the power to it in your special way that only you provide and only you set, right? God has gifted you. God has given you capabilities, and he will empower capabilities in you if you are his follower, if you will step in and use them by faith. If you want to hear anything else today, if you want to know what does it look like for us, as Paul is telling the Ephesian church, to live in unity, what's my role as an individual in that? Here's a big part of it. God has gifted you to reach beyond yourself. God has gifted you, given you capabilities. He has placed things in you that will allow you an impact and a reach that will do more than what you would be able to do on your own. But we must be people who step into those gifts. Paul gives this, this scenario, this story that would have been familiar in the ancient world in the next couple of verses. He says, listen, it's like a, it's like a king, and when a king leaves the, the palatial life and leaves the, the castle and the king goes out to battle, when he wins, it was, it was custom that you would have a lot of the people that you had dominated, a lot of the soldiers that you had defeated in chains walking behind you so that all could see your dominance and see your victory. It was also common that the king would take and loot all the things and riches and wealth and splendor that he could get from these people, and he would take them. And Paul is quoting Psalm 68 as it talks about this, this king who would descend, and then he would ascend. And it says in Psalm 68 that he would be given gifts. And here Paul is, is saying a different understanding. He's saying he has been given gifts. I think Paul is just taking it the next step further. He's saying this is a king who when he receives all the the, the plunder and the spoil of this battle, when he has all of these good things at, at, at his beck and call, he, he doesn't hoard them for himself. He's a generous, loving, kind king. He returns to where he is in the palace, and then he just starts dispersing and giving out gifts. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, this may sound unbelievable to you. It may sound boring to you. <laughs> you may go, okay, well, I'm better at math than I am with words. I'm better at cooking than I am at whatever, fill in the blank, fishing, right? I'm not good at either, sorry, right? But that may sound to you just kind of easy, right? Like, like this mundane little truth. Listen, God has wired you at salvation in the presence of his spirit 
to have capability bigger than you have otherwise so that you can reach beyond yourself, but you must step in in faith. I think I, I may have shared, at least with some of you before, that Jamie and I have been so blessed in, in our lives as adults married that, that we've been given several vehicles uh, through family being passed down, most of them. And so, therefore, we've had the opportunity on a couple of occasions to turn around and give a car to someone else who needed one. And, and I'll never forget, we were friends with this couple, Tommy and Emma, and, and they were having trouble in life. They had three little girls, and they were trying to figure out how to get everywhere, and he worked a weird shift, and he was the only one in the family that drove. <laughs> they didn't have another vehicle. And so when we saw we had the opportunity to give somebody this vehicle, we immediately thought of her. But crazy enough, you wouldn't expect this. It actually took some convincing. <laughs> it wasn't because the car was an absolute hoopty. It wasn't. I mean, it was older, but, but it was a Mustang for crying out loud, okay? If I had it back now, I would ride it through the neighborhood just for fun with the windows down, and I would play loud old music to embarrass my kids, okay? <laughs> it was a good-looking vehicle, right? It had been kept nice, kept clean. It wasn't because the, the vehicle wasn't good enough, right? It was because Emma had never learned to drive didn't have a driver's license and didn't know that she wanted to. And so here you have people really just trickle down from God wanting to bless her and go, hey, we can help alleviate a lot of those schedule issues you guys have. A lot of that, how do we get to the store when we realize we're out of something and need it, but Tommy's gone in the other vehicle. We can alleviate some of that, but for that to happen, you've got to make a decision on your end. That activates this blessing that activates this gift in your life, its impact to you when you learn to drive. I'll just say this to you, followers of Jesus. You've been gifted, and you've been gifted so richly in Jesus. I see your hearts of humble love, and it is truly amazing. It's not everywhere. It's not every church where there's such a sweet concern and love for one another. But beyond just the, the big idea of love, more specifically, each of you have been hardwired by God to reach beyond your own ability. He's given you a God-given, God-fueled capability that you must step into. And so many of you do serve each other, and so many of you do commit. But it's, would you be one of those that's going, hey, I, I realize that maybe I'm gifted in this but I don't step forward because, ah, that would be so embarrassing. Or what if I get up there and I'm going to sing and I sing the wrong words? Or what if my voice cracks? Then the answer is you'd be like me, all right? And everybody would go, was that Pastor Jason? Nope, the other person today, right? <laughs> right? But see, here's the deal. God has not called professionals. God has gifted real people. And he's called us to use our lives and our giftings for his purposes. Now, he's going to take us a little further into this picture by giving us some specific examples of giftings. There's several different places in Scripture where there are lists of spiritual gifts. None of those are meant to be exhaustive. None of those lists are, are meant to say these are all of them. He's just given some examples, but these are kind of some specific ones here in verse 11. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So he lists these five different roles in the church. We'll just go maybe from easier to harder. Teachers are those who teach. <laughs> right? As followers of Jesus, we all on some level are to be teachers because we're to be communicating the gospel through our lives and through our mouths to other people. So we're all on some level are called to that, but maybe some of us are more equipped for that than others. Maybe God has supernaturally gifted 
you to preach. You lead a community group, right? You teach sometimes, maybe even on a, a Sunday. You lead Bible studies. You work with kids, helping them take first steps in knowing Jesus out there in kids' life, whatever it is. Right? But some of us are gifted to teach. He says he gave you teachers. He also gave you shepherds. This word shepherds here is a reference to elders or, or pastors. Those words can be used interchangeably. It's the same thing. He says, I've given you shepherds to oversee your spiritual care and your growth and your direction to see that your steps are going towards Jesus. I've given you people who are, are awake when you need them to be awake, people who are thinking about you even when you don't know they're thinking about you, people who are praying for you, people who are making plans for your life individually or collectively to help you grow. They're thinking, how can I help? He says, I'm giving you these shepherds or pastors but also give you evangelists, people who go and preach the good news, maybe in areas that it's never gone before, people who are specifically, uniquely gifted to go and proclaim the gospel such that it would take effect and root in people's hearts. I have a friend named Jamin, and we've always said, man, he is just gifted in evangelism. I have a buddy who said he could get up there, and for 30 minutes, he could just over and over again say, jelly donut. And when he got done, people would run to the altar and be like, I need Jesus, right? It's just, he's just gifted, man. He just, it just, God just does it through him, right? People meet Jesus through Jamin's life. He says, and I've given people like that to the church. Since I've also given these two that can be a little bit more tricky, I've given apostles and I've given prophets. This can be tricky because these things are not only giftings that are given, but they are in some cases offices or actual official leadership positions in the church. Right? You see apostles in the New Testament are the 12 that walked with Jesus faithfully. They're ones that saw him personally and were commissioned face-to-face by the resurrected Jesus to go and tell others about him. You see this in Acts chapter 1, as Matthias is picked as the replacement for Judas, the rebel. And it says, Peter says, he says, listen, we've got to pick one who's been with us from the beginning, since the baptism of John. So way back at the beginning of the story, when we realized that this was the Messiah, and he said, come follow. We've got to have somebody who was with us then and has been with us the whole time, he says, until he ascended. Meaning, they saw the resurrected Jesus. He was sitting there in the passages where Jesus commissioned them and Jesus told them to go. These are the apostles proper. And there won't be others. Do you know that in Revelations, these guys are so revered and they're so important to the, the outpour and the understanding of who Jesus is throughout history that it says in the new Jerusalem there'll be a huge wall that protects the new city of the glory of God and it'll have 12 foundations and these 12 guys names will be on those foundations these 12 not 13 not 17 not 25 not if you think you happen to be an apostle come scribble your name on the wall with a marker or carve it in with a knife these <laughs> yet the Bible also mentions several several other people in lists sometimes or as groups or sometimes in couplets, that they are apostles in a different sense, in a more general sense. This word apostle just means messenger, right? And we see in 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, where it says that these, these other apostles, that, that they were apostles, they were messengers among the church. And so they weren't these official, proper apostles that, that spoke with the authority of a in-person commission of God, yet they were people who had a very strong gifting that leaned in that same direction. They were people who helped the church. They were travelers who went and took messages and encouragement and correction. That's what they did. Right? And we see 
in 1 Corinthians, Paul say, listen, speaking into a situation where worship had become this weird hodgepodge of everybody's doing different things all the time at the same time, and nobody knows exactly what's going on, and Paul's trying to straighten out their worship, and he says to them, one of the things he says there is this, he says, listen, don't, don't let more than, than two or three prophets, right, people who carry this message, don't let more than two or three of them speak. And then he says this, he says, after they speak, go and weigh what they have said. <laughs> so he says, don't give blind acceptance to, don't just say yes to, right? But, but go and weigh what they have said against the standard of God's word and against the character of Christ. <laughs> Much the way that, that I would encourage you as a pastor and as a teacher of the Bible, making my best efforts to do it. Right, I, I promise you, I tremble under the idea that I would misteach God's word, but still and true, I guarantee you that I have somehow or I will somehow. I'm human and I'm frail. That's why I would beg you to always be looking down at the page and go, is that really what it's saying? To be like the Bereans who go and study the word. Paul tells us there are people in the church right, who still have these, these gift mixes. Right, Apostles maybe are people sometimes like church planners. They go into places where a new expression of the gospel is needed, or maybe the gospel's never been before. Maybe there are people like denominational leaders or people that help to lead and influence well for the glory of God, pastors and church leaders in different ways, right? But understand this, no one carries the authority of apostles and prophets of old. When a prophet spoke in the Old Testament, they would always use some semblance of this phrase. It's old school saying, King James, so if that's your deal, you're going to get excited. They would say, thus saith the Lord. What they were saying was, this is what God has said to me to say to you. You see, when they were speaking, they were giving the standard. And when anyone else comes with what might be leadership from the Lord, we're told, don't just cast them away and don't just not pay attention and say you're foolish. Don't live suspect of them automatically, but also don't accept everything blindly. Don't be gullible. Compare what they're saying to you to the standard. You see, one was delivering the standard. The other one has to measure up, right? There'll never be anything anyone says into your life that God may or may not have given to them to say to you that compares with the validity and the security that comes with the word of God, right? In fact, if you have someone stand before you and say, God has said it to you, unless they quote a scripture, right? you need to, to be well, kind of kind of backpedal just a smidge and go, God, what do I do with this, Right? Does God lead us personally and individually? The scripture is clear that he does. But if you find a person who is so eager to, to be recognized for this certain role or that certain role or so certain that they have to tell you exactly what God has said into your life, it might be more about their recognition than it is about God's work. Right? So we look for people who can help us understand. We look for people that God might nudge to lead us. He has given us those people in the church. But we also never place them higher than God's word. And we never place them on par with those who are in scripture. He says, I've given these important people, these important leaders in the life of the church. Why? Why has he given them? And why has he gifted each one of us believers? Verse 12, for this reason, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. Why has God gifted the church with leaders? Why has God gifted you, every individual who is truly the true church? It's in this verse, we see it, verse 12, for the building up the body of Christ. That leaders would help and equip. They would be able to resource you, that they would be able to answer questions, that they would be able to lead and guide you. Yes, they would equip you with what you need to do the work of ministry. Ministry, as I can best understand it, is simply just to meet a need. And so it's saying do work, do ministry, meet needs. God has gifted you for this. God has gifted you to reach beyond yourself, but not just that. He's gifted you to reach beyond yourself to bring his presence into the lives of others. If he's living and dwelling in you and he's gifted you to go into another person's life with your gifting, he's showing himself to them whether they realize it or not. That's what it's about. You've been chosen to get to do that. Doesn't that sound a whole lot better than a bunch of dusty, old, man-centered religion where I try to be good enough and not be bad? And instead, I love Jesus with my whole heart wanting to strip away and surrender everything to him that would block my view of him so that I can live for him and go forward in his mission and help others know him. Doesn't that sound so much better? See, I would have to add to this definition, this idea of spiritual gifting now that we've read it, that it's a God-given, God-fueled church building, faith-employed capability. God hasn't gifted you so that you can be recognized. He hasn't spiritually gifted you so that you can have a huge following on the internet of people who live life completely depart or, or apart from each other and, and have no community in Christ. He has gifted you so that you can build up the church and make it stronger. Here's the thing about being equipped is that even though we are equipped, we don't always feel equipped. Can't believe I, this wasn't planned. Here we go. The first time I got to own a riding lawnmower, I was an adult and had children. Right? I had only touched one maybe three or four times in my life, not because my family didn't have one, but because my dad had one and he was not letting me touch it. <laughs> the reality is he's probably had the same one for 20 years now. He may not have ridden it more than 100 times himself. I mean, the man, you'll see him out pushing big chunks of grass, and you're like, he's got a riding lawnmower. And my mom's like, well, you know, he's keeping it nice. You know, and I'm like, keeping it nice for who? Right, like... Going to use that thing in glory? What are we doing, right? Like, get out there and ride that bad boy. He would not let me use it. I'll never forget the riding lawnmower. I still own it. I got it several years ago. I only paid $300 for it. I knew the guy who had owned it originally. He sold it to another guy. That guy just wanted a big fancy lawnmower. He said, it's broken. Needed a $16 spring. Got it right back in business. It was mine, right? One of my favorite possessions, $300, right? Here's the thing. When it was dropped off at my house, I'll never forget, I needed to ride it up onto a trailer so that we could take it somewhere and figure out what was wrong with it. One of my best buddies in the whole world was right there with me. This is so embarrassing. Especially, I mean, I know y'all. I know y'all got tractors and all skid steer. I mean, y'all got stuff I don't even know what it's called, okay? Right? I remember looking at my buddy and going, hey, man, you just want to ride it up there for me? And he looked at me, he's like, what? He's like, 
I was like, you know, I just, I just hadn't ridden one in a while. I hadn't. He was like, do you drive a car? And I said, yes. He said, don't you drive your wife's car? Too? Yes. Have you ever driven a go-kart? Yes. Get on the lawnmower and drive it up onto the trailer, right? And I did. I figured it out. It took me a second. I was being watched, so it made me a little nervous. I fumbled around with getting the brake off. I might have went to push it, and my foot slipped by. It went further than I meant to. It was a little embarrassing, right? But the reality is there wasn't anything super special about it. I mean, I know this is coming as news to everybody, but, but driving or riding lawnmower typically is not calculus, okay? You, you get on, you take the brake off, you, you go, right? It's pretty easy. Right, I had everything I needed, but I stood in the driveway as a grown man kind of trembling inside like I'm about to look stupid if I try this because I don't know how to do it. When in reality, I absolutely knew how to do it. I didn't. The role of leaders in the church we just read is to equip you for works of ministry. And man, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. Once a church gets past about the size of, of a community group or a small group, that gets pretty hard to figure out sometimes. <laughs> Keep up with everybody and be equipping everybody. I'm not, I'm not making excuses. I'm just being honest with you. It's humbling. Right? But we want to grow in that. We want to get better in that as leaders in your church. And we want to equip you so that you can stand knowing confidently, I will not do this perfectly. And I may not know how to do this, absolutely all of this, but I have been equipped to do this. So that when I do this thing that God has gifted me to do, whatever that thing may be, we have people in this church that use their gifts in ways you'd be surprised. When you do that, you build up the church. You don't just preserve a local church name. You don't help us reach a point where maybe we need a bigger building. It's not about any of that mess. You build up spiritually, internally, the church who are the followers of Jesus. You tell me if you can find something that would be a nobler cause for your life. There's not one. We are people who are called to aim for maturity, not just knowing Jesus, but striving to grow up more and more to be like him, to live in line with what he is doing in us. We are, as church leaders, to equip for that. You all are, we all are, as followers of Jesus, gifted to help build each other up towards that end. How will we know what it looks like? Quickly, verse 14. How will we know if we're growing mature? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How are we to build the church up together? What are we to aim for? What will it look like if we grow mature in Christ? He gives at least one key characteristic, and he says, we will not be people who are easily diverted and swayed. We won't be people who any little message that sounds plausible and, and has an appeal to us will carry us off away from our faith, not even into heresy and into wrong doctrine, but away from a focus on what Jesus has called us to do and be. We live in a world where there are a million different messages coming our way every single day. 
just this morning, I was on YouTube going to listen to a couple of the songs that we were going to sing this morning just to run them through my mind and heart again one more time. And before I could even listen to the song, a commercial for something popped up. And I, I just the first sentence just jumped out of the computer speakers at me. It literally said, you are the most important thing in the world. <laughs> I was like, man, I got to pay attention, right? Because God loves me a whole lot, but I'm not the most important thing in the whole entire universe. Like people in China, people in Russia, people who don't have food to eat today, they're not going, well, I would really like food, but if I had the chance to meet Jason, I'd rather do that and then starve to death and die because he is the most important thing in the entire world. All right, but there are messages all over the place if we will pay attention. And, and what Paul says is this, when we aren't growing up to maturity in Christ, Messages will take us and lead us astray and sway us. And it may take us to a place where we believe wrong things. Or it may just take us to a place where we're distracted from the true thing. He says, grow up in maturity in such a way that your focus and your believing offers stability that's found only in Christ. You know what it's like to not feel secure, to not feel stable. Happened that time that you tried to roller skate at that party knowing good and well you didn't know how to roller skate, right? You were good for a second and then you started doing this right here, right? It's, it's the time that you tried to water ski. It's the time that you stood on a boat and it hit waves and you were like, I was still just a second ago, but then I was thrown over on the seat. What happened? <laughs> you know what it's like when you pay the bills every single month until that one week happens where you don't have a job and you don't get the check and all of a sudden you have no clue how you're going to handle it. When the relationship that you've banked on fell apart. That's what a lack of stability feels like and, and the scary reality is that we, we run from those, we push away from those in our circumstantial lives but so often we don't even notice them or we just accept them fully in our spiritual lives. Paul is saying Jesus doesn't just want to save you for one day and keep you safe and secure for one day. He wants to give you stability now, firm footing now. This is why God has gifted you, the church, to build each other up into Christ. That you can stop being a person who's walking away, licking your wounds, limping because you've chased off another idea of human cunning. Another wave of false lies and doctrine. Today is, is, is a unique message to me. I, I'm not sure why. I've just wrestled all week long. Just wrestled with it hard. There, there's been this thing in my mind as a pastor that goes, hey, people who've been around church, they already know this stuff. Right? They already know they're gifted. Like they're already doing it, a lot of them. Some of them already know about it. They don't, they're just not at a place in life where they will or can. or whatever. Like, Don't go say all that stuff to them. Some of it's pretty technical to understand to make sure we're really pulling away from the scripture. And I've been going, God, I don't, I mean, I want to teach it faithfully, but God, what do we do with that? This week has been a hard week, but can I just tell you maybe why this week has been a little bit of a tumultuous week in my soul as I've prepared to teach this? Because God might absolutely shake the walls in your life and shake the walls of Dublin for his glory if we believed this and lived in it. Maybe it's because there's a truth that if it really rooted in our heart, we might see more trouble than we've ever seen, but we would see more glory than we've ever imagined. We might have people look us in the face and go, I want to follow 
Jesus, and we can know that God in some small way used my life to reach beyond myself to build up the church. What does that look like for you? Check on that card close to you if you're interested in serving in a, in a team here. Come and see me and, and say, hey, I, I want to. I don't know how I'm spiritually gifted. Trial and error is one of the best ways I know of to figure it out, but I'll, I'll help if I can. I know we have other leaders that would love to help. Whatever it is for you, the call right, that I want you to hear from Paul is, hey, you've been created for the mission of God. So whether you get in or not, you were created for it. If you know that, then why wouldn't you just jump in? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a triumphant, brave, strong, unconquerable king. Jesus, I thank you for descending down to earth, down into the lowest of darkness and depravity and brokenness that was so unlike heaven that you would defeat all that would stand against us and that you would give gifts to us that we might be like you, that we might be used by you. God, I'm just trusting you with your word. I'm asking that you would let your word seep down into our souls, that you would make us restless in a really healthy way until we've dealt with your word. God, I have no clue some of the ways you may have let your word land in our hearts, but I pray that we would not let it land and act as if we would remain neutral. God, help us to respond and respond rightly because you're such a saving king. Because you're so kind, so merciful. God, help us to see you and let your kindness lead us to eagerness for your mission. I pray, God, that you would let this be a place, not this room, God, but this people. Let us be a community where it's okay to not know the answers. It's okay to have to ask the questions. That we would value people efforting to make their next faith step much more highly than we would ever value knowing exactly what that step is. Help us build each other up towards you, in you, Jesus. Show us what that looks like day by day, moment by moment. Give us hearts that are sensitive to your promptings, your guidance. And let us step into it and employ what you have built into us as you've remade us by your grace. Help us. Lead us. And I know if you do those things, we'll enjoy it. Because we'll enjoy you as we're with you. Lead us, Jesus. I ask it for your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, a couple of a uh, couple of announcements. I'm not even sure exactly. Uh, I probably forget some, so you may have to just throw stuff on the screen. One thing is this: um, if you signed up to help out with lunch on us uh, on Wednesday, it is this Wednesday that we are feeding uh, 30 to 35 of the guys of construction crew over here building the new. I can never remember Audi. 
Okay, Aldi. All right, so I, I'll say it wrong every time, I'm sure. Um, I'm just going to start pointing and going that place. Uh, anyway, we're going to get to serve them a meal here Wednesday. If you signed up for that, um, be sure to remember and be here for that. Um, and, and if you're interested in coming and help, regardless of how many people we have or don't have, I, I don't even haven't looked at the number, but, man, just come and love on people if you want to. We'd love to have you. It's just a way for us um, to serve people in the way that Jesus serves us. All right, so that is coming down the pipeline. I thought there's, uh, oh, <laughs> big deal, communion next Sunday. All right, I uh, always want to do my best uh, to remind you uh, and try to not forget uh, that you have an advance notice when we're having the communion because the Apostle